Welcome back to the School of Calisthenics podcast, The Playground Sessions. Now, this one is a little bit more serious and a little bit more science, but we absolutely loved it. We were asked and we're absolutely privileged and honoured to be able to speak at the UK Strength and Conditioning Association annual conference um, where we were asked to do a presentation with a practical element as well so people could feel what calisthenics was like. This was to over to about 150 uh, UK Strength and Conditioning Association coaches where we were talking about how we have seen for ourselves uh, the improvements in shoulder robustness but then also how that has applied to some of the Paralympic athletes we've been coaching for shoulder performance. Um, Tim takes us through an amazing presentation of the rationale and the science behind it and we uh, hope you enjoy the content listening along and can apply it into some of your own training or if you're coaching yourself that maybe you can think about what areas could you apply it to some of the athletes and clients that you're working with. Hope you enjoy this one. Sit back, relax. Here is the podcast. Uh, morning guys, as Pete says, my name is Tim Stevenson. This is um, Dave Jackson. Um, we're really excited to be sharing some of the information with you guys today. It's the first time we've really pitched or put some of this stuff out to a group like yourselves. Um, it's been a, a bit of a journey to how we got to the point of exploring how using calisthenics and progressive bodyweight training can actually start to potentially improve shoulder robustness, shoulder performance function, and also bring play into an athlete's training environment. But yeah, just to give you a bit of background and some context before we get stuck into it, the general plan for the session is I'm going to go through 15, 20 minutes of just some, some rationale and some evidence based behind the content we're going, to, we're going to share with you guys. And then Jacko is going to lead us through a practical session and get you guys trying a few things. The big thing for us is that we, we give you some ideas in terms of how you can apply this with your, your athlete groups, hopefully Monday morning or whenever it fits into your, your training programs and cycles. Um, but just the sense of the practical, we were, we're quite a large group, we've tried to bring a bit of equipment with us, um, but just get involved as much as you can and, and, and feel and experience some of the stuff that we're going to talk about, hopefully it'll bring it to life. So Jack and I are both are ex-rugby players, Jack who played professionally for 14 years, um, I've been a strength and conditioning coach for the last 10, specialising in, uh, in Paralympic sport, predominantly with athletics and swimming. Jack had joined me um, in another business we have one athlete about five years ago when he retired from rugby uh, from a head injury. I originally started calisthenics because I'd come off the back of probably 10 years of repeated dislocations of my left shoulder. It, I don't actually know how many times I dislocated it over from the age 22 to about, well, 32, something like that. Jacko himself has broken coracoid process, a chromium process, and separated AC joint. So coming into this kind of stuff, we don't have a great background at all, no gymnastics experience whatsoever. The reason I originally started to learn to handstand or get interested in calisthenics was because I tried all of the rehab in the book. I'd done the most amount of stability ball scaptions and external rotations, and my, my shoulder just didn't actually ever stay where it was supposed to. I don't know if Gil remembers, actually, but I dislocated my shoulder on my Olympic lifting workshop with the UKCA in a velodrome in Manchester some years ago, and it's a good job he had his first aid certificate up to date because he did a great job with the primary care, so thanks for that, Gil. I don't think I've ever really thanked you at the time. But it was, a really, it, was, it was causing me a lot of problems, so I decided if I can handstand, that's going to give me some confidence that my shoulder is stable, which obviously is a logical process of when you're unstable overhead is to try and balance your whole body weight on top of it, but I'd kind of run out of options. What happened from that point onwards was a really interesting journey of starting to gain some confidence in my shoulder. I was also interested at the time in starting to bring some other things into the training environment, learning some different stuff that I could share with athletes. Um, and teach myself to move in a new way, the skill acquisition process of learning a new complex movement. Um, I'm 38 this year, so I started about four and a half years ago, so I didn't come into it in my peak prime. Um, so I hope that gives you guys some encouragement when we go into it today. So we've 
on, on that journey, I haven't had a single instability issue since I started calisthenics. I can now put myself into positions which we'll show you in a bit in terms of human flags, this kind of stuff where my shoulder feels great, I can put high forces through it. And when I think about what I did on the UKSC lifting workshop, I had an un unloaded bar, 20 kilos doing a snatch, and I couldn't keep my shoulder in that position. But we can now start to apply um, a little bit more force and do something a bit more exciting with my shoulders, which is great. So we started looking at the evidence base and started to explore a little bit. We've bounced some ideas around some great practitioners in the industry to see what their thoughts are. Um, and that's the list to this point where we're going to share what we've, what we've come up with today. It's a work in progress, guys, and we would love to, if you've got any feedback and any thoughts and experiences of your own over the weekend, or from today and past, we're around all weekend, so we'd love to come and chew the fat around it as well. So please come and, come and talk to us. I'm just going to set this up with a little bit of a, with some context around to, to provide some, um, some foundation for what we're going to go through with the practical. This quote Eric Cressy uses a lot in his resource, Sturdy Shoulders, and I love it because it's the simplicity of that's the job that we're trying to do around shoulder health. Keep the ball in the socket, preferably orientated in the ideal part of the socket. If we think about what we're trying to do there, that was effectively what my shoulder looked like on a regular basis, but if we think about what we're trying to do is create that optimal alignment, and then we need the shoulder to be able to keep that optimal alignment through full range of motion and with good neuromuscular control. If we can do that, we're going to have a functioning shoulder which is performing pretty well for us, and we can have some confidence in. The problem is we know that we're dealing with what is probably a fairly dysfunctional population when it comes to shoulder health. Research will suggest that 67 to 80% of patients that present with shoulder injury have got some form of scapid dyskinesis. The reality is, and you guys will see these athletes in your programs all the time, we have lots of people who've got poor shoulder movement, whether that's a result of past traumas, repetitive movements as a result of the sport, or um, postural dysfunction. We've got people whose shoulders don't move well, but they're not technically injured. When we think about what we, this idea of keeping the ball in the socket, even a small translation or uncontrolled translation of the humeral head in the glenoid fossa could lead to an injury to some of these guys. So we think there's an opportunity to start to explore how we can give them a little bit more robustness and control in the shoulder. And we'll, we'll take that a little bit further um, as we go through the presentation. So just some headlines to, to pitch this up. 29.3, that's what research suggests is the optimal alignment of the glenoid cavity in the long head of the humeral um, head, or the long axis of the humeral head, sorry. That sounds pretty good, so let's take that as a pinch of salt, plus minus 30 degrees. In a static position, that sounds fairly achievable, but we need to remember that that needs to happen through full range of movement as well. So as we start to go into overhead positions, we've got tons of mobility, lots of range of movement for the shoulder. We need to be trying to maintain an optimal alignment with that glenoid, the humeral head sitting in the fossa of the scapula. When we start to throw in the fact that a lot of our guys are going to have restrictions in range of movement, we've got some poor neuromuscular pattern around the shoulder, we're going to find that it's quite difficult for that scapula to actually continue to, to, to make that, keep that tracking in, in, in a good position. People would talk about the scapula and the humeral head having a relationship like a seal with a ball on its nose. The, the scapula is responding to and anticipating movement of the humeral head. If we've got restrictions, we haven't got great neuromuscular control. We know that the brain is going to find and give us an alternative uh, movement option. So if we get up and we haven't then got scapular rotation, protraction, whatever we require to get into these positions, the brain will just go, yeah, that's right, Tim, you, you'd be fine. I'll find you a different way. I'm going to find a movement here. And then we think about we're, we're then creating potentially uncontrolled translations around that, that head. We're not keeping it in, a, in an ideal um, sitting with the fossa. So just an idea as we go through, we need to keep good range of movement. We need good contacts with those two um, structures. Secondly, just to highlight the importance and that we just take a, a given nod to the structure of the glenohumeral joint, we don't have a lot of ligamentous or bony structure holding that joint together. It's very different to the hip. 
So 90% of joint stability is created by muscle activation. The rotator cuff does a, a huge amount of this work by creating compression on the joint and keeping that humeral head packed into the fossa on the scapula. So that starts to give us an idea that if we're going to scale strength, velocity, force measures, whatever it might be, we need to do something to allow that shoulder to actually upgrade itself in terms of creating more stability to handle bigger forces. If we don't, we're going to find that we can put more force out through the shoulder, but are we actually doing a good job of keeping the ball of the humerus or the head of the humerus located with its optimal position in the fossa? So upgrading muscle activation around the joint is going to be a good thing of creating more stability and keeping good alignment and control from the, in the shoulder. The research literature around um, rehabilitation talks about this a lot. Kinetic chain integration and the importance of the shoulder being part of an integrated system. 50%, some research papers will suggest up to 80, but in overhead throwing movements or overhead positions, 50% of the force generated through the upper limb can be generated from the limbs or the lower limbs and the midsection. So if we think about them, we have this importance. If we've got a weak link in the shoulder and we're able to generate a huge amount of force through the upper body, if we're struggling to keep the head of the, the humerus ideally located in its position and we haven't got good neuromuscular control around that joint, we're in a position then where we can start to think that maybe we've got a weak link here and that's going to cause a problem for us. So can we find ways within training to start to integrate the shoulder more into the kinetic chain to start to scale robustness through the whole chain and system? We talk a lot around proprioception for the shoulder as well. Proprioception being perception of movement and um, joint position sense. High levels of proprioception means we can transfer forces through the system more effectively. So forces generated proximally can be transferred better through to distal components. So elevating proprioception, but having that as part of the kinetic chain integration is really important. And then lastly, I think this is a really interesting one. A lot of us would, would jump at the chance of 24% increase in force production if we were looking for overhead or upper body movements. If the scapula is in a stable position, we can produce more force. So taking measures to give the scapula a little bit more control, a little bit more stability, that means that we can then start to potentially increase force output. And that will be in a number of different positions, sport specifics, whether we're doing Olympic lifting or whatever. So we're talking about this, um, this uh, interdependent and this relationship between mobility, stability, and strength. If we do a good job of scaling this, because I think as strength and condition coaches, we do a good job here. We're, we're good at scaling force, velocity. Um, we, we know strength training well. We know stability to a certain degree, but my, my expectation is, and this is experience from my own career as, as working with a number of different, well, lots of different athletes in different sports, is we probably run out of tools at this point, and we're not quite sure how we can then continue to scale stability in line with our strength development. So what we've found is that calisthenics potentially offers an opportunity for us to do more of this, stability work at higher levels, and I'm going to give you some evidence to suggest why in a minute. But it also encourages this, the kinetic chain integration. For us to go into a beautifully controlled handstand, calisthenics means beautiful strength. We would all agree that we want our athletes to move beautifully. So if I go into a handstand, I need full range of movement, and I need that to be integrated into kinetic chain. You almost can't do calisthenics unless you get those things working together. So we start to think about playing to the shoulder's strengths as it is designed, um, and as it kind of is the environment in which is most likely to, to um, succeed and excel. So my suggestion is that we've got an opportunity to change the environment a little bit. Rather than getting our guys going through banded external rotations, single leg cable scaptions, whatever we might do for shoulder stability, we can potentially change the environment and utilize some of the benefits that we get from closed kinetic chain training. So closed kinetic chain for the upper body often make us think about upper body resistance machines, but we can get the same environment if we fix the hand on the floor or on a bar, and we've got something in between of this spectrum of closed, pure closed kinetic chain by using a, a suspension training system or a gymnastics ring, which gives us some resistance but also some play. 
The research around this, particularly around shoulders, a lot of the work done by Ben Kibler, um, gives us some indication of what's going to happen in a closed kinetic chain environment. We can increase joint compression forces, increase muscular contractions, increase eccentric contractions, and decrease shear forces by having the, the hand fixed. If we do that, we get better joint congruency, we increase proprioception, increase neuromuscular control, increase dynamic joint stability. That's all from the evidence base, and I would say that we would look at all of those and go, yeah, that's good for the shoulder, like, that sounds appealing. If we do those things, we have a better opportunity to keep the ball in the socket. So ultimately, to, for, for shoulder health and performance, we're looking for full range of motion with, with a neuromuscular control through that range and with it integrated into the, into the kinetic chain. This is an interesting one um, around the muscle co-contraction. The joint compression forces are great, and we know that from the research, open kinetic chain exercises and closed kinetic chain exercises can improve joint proprioception. The difference is in closed kinetic chain exercises, we get much more muscle co-contraction, and that's the, the muscles work around the joint working to stabilize dynamic or to create dynamic stability. So a really interesting thing around the shoulder, having the hand fixed and what that does into the shoulder. And calisthenics uses that, a lot of these movements. We do all of our stuff pretty much in one of these environments. So just a little bit of evidence to, to wrap this up. Um, I've picked out three papers because they just highlight some key points. This one, the top paper here, closed kinetic chain of body training, um, improved um, throwing velocity or throwing performance in, in softball players. What they did was a 12-week um, study, open kinetic chain group, closed kinetic chain group, the both groups' baseline test was a, was a 1RM bench press. After the, open, sorry, the closed kinetic chain group trained using a suspension system, the open kinetic chain group trained, trained continued using bench press. What they found after 12 weeks was that bench pressing performance, 1RM, went up in comparable levels. So both, both groups improved similarly in their bench press performance. But what happened in the closed kinetic chain group was that throwing velocity improved, external rotation power improved, and um, shoulder flexion peak power improved as well. Open chain kinetic group improved bench press, but decreased performance in all of those other measures. So uh, the idea being that if we're using closed kinetic chain movements, that's actually having an impact on open chain movements, which are sport specific. So it's quite interesting. We think back to the slide before about what are the benefits of using those. Potentially, we were just upgrading the performance, robustness, and stability around the shoulder. These last two papers are a nod towards intensity. <coughs> Excuse me. Strength training shoulder pre pre preception. What this group did was tested different intensities on shoulder proprioception. So they took an 8RM group and a slightly lower intensity 12RM group. What they found was that 8RM group got bigger improvements in proprioception than the 12RM group, giving us a nod towards potentially we need to be thinking about how we create more intensity for the shoulder if we're going to start to get some better improvements in proprioception. I think a lot of the time when we look at stability for the shoulder, we start thinking about Type 1 muscle fibers, higher rep volumes, lower intensity. We can spend 12 reps doing single arm scaptions or whatever it might be. But actually, the research is suggesting the shoulder likes a little bit more. And this is probably in a stable position as well. We need to think about what our population is presenting with. And then this one, I throw this paper in because they use 20 reps. Um, so a lower intensity program again. But what they actually added was an instability challenge as well. They did a BOSU progressive balance push-up. What they found was that the, there, was, there was improvement in the strength of the musculature around the joint. So rotator cuff, isolator strength improved. Scapulo, as the other scapular muscular strength improved, but there was no change in proprioception. So there was, there was strength of isolated muscles, but it didn't actually integrate it into the chain. And their conclusion in that paper was intensity is probably more important than instability. And I think there's probably a progression in there for us to, to, to think about. So before we get into practical, um, 
as my summary from this is that we have an opportunity to potentially look at scaling mobility stability strength more equally. We need to think about if we're going to upgrade shoulder performance from a strength perspective, force velocity um, attributes, we need to do something which is going to give the stability system a better ability to handle higher forces. Potentially then, therefore, using closed kinetic chain movements, thinking about kinetic chain integration and scaling intensity. Calisthenics is interesting because there's always somewhere to go. When you can do a, a wall walk, which will take you into some handstand movements in a bit, or a frog stand, real basic, there's a progression. When you can do a freestanding handstand, there's a progression. We can constantly challenge the shoulder to produce stability and force at the same time. And when, in my mind, what I think is when we go back to the joint structure, and we think about the architecture of the shoulder, creating high levels of stability and high levels of strength at the same time is crucial for a high-performance shoulder. And I didn't have those. I was good at strength. I was doing quite a bit of strength work. But even in my rehab processes, all the stages, over and over again, was all low-level strength work, and my shoulder didn't stay in the socket. Kinetic chain integration. We had to get a calisthenics move nailed down. You have to start to think about learning this, the, the, the chain, or integrating the chain. There's no other way of doing it. The nice thing about it is you can't progress until you've done it. So you can do a handstand with a banana back, but we all look at it and go, it's pretty average. So moving through to get really beautiful movement forces you to start to think about training, training the system, integrating force, skill acquisition, developing awareness of where you are in space, all these really positive things. From an application perspective, these are my last three points. Calisthenics is fun. I hope you guys enjoy the session we're going to do with you today. Getting athletes balancing on their hands, challenging them in different positions, setting them movement challenges, they love it. So while they're having a good time learning to move in a new way, whether that's swinging from monkey bars and we're challenging some of the positions which Jacko is going to talk to us about in a bit, we're letting them have a great time, maybe during our prep work. But from a physio and SNC perspective, we're stood there just going, this is great. You're having a good time. You're enjoying what you're doing. And we're getting all of these benefits that we've talked about before. The shoulder's getting scaled. And I know that balancing on my hands and doing progressive calisthenics is more interesting and I'm more likely to adhere to it than doing this, which I had done a lot of. I also think we need to think about managing chaos in sport. Calisthenics opens up a world of different opportunities where we can start to move the shoulder into different positions. If we take a tight right to pull up, for example, coming through, sitting on top of the bar, transitioning across, creating stability and strength while we're moving through different positions. In many sports, whether it's white walks to slalom, canoe, or rugby, take rugby, for example, from our background, I never know where that hit's going to come from. I could have a 100-kilo guy running at me from back here, but a lot of our strength work happens here, and our stability work happens here. I'm not prepared to hand a guy off here. I remember watching the Six Nations a few years ago, one of the Welsh players, dislocated or separated AC joint from trying to hand off. What calisthenics does is it allows us to start to give ourselves movement options. We're creating and giving the shoulder the opportunity to get strong in ranges which are outside of what our normal kind of lifting patterns might expose us to. And I think there's something really nice in that. I started using calisthenics with athletes, and I used to put it as the section at the top of my program that said athletic development. And people are like, what's that about? I was like, I don't know. I just want guys to move in new ways. I want to teach them to something different. Because sports, and especially working in swimming, is very, it's the same over and over again. I was like, I'm just going to teach you to move in a different way. So if you ever need that movement, you've got options. Jacko's learning to backflip at the moment. He did a dodgy one into the foam pit of the week, landed with his shoulder out here, and it's fine, because we train in these kind of positions. I'm not saying it's a gold standard solution. It's not saying it's the, the entire solution. What I'm, we're suggesting is that hopefully that's going to add something to your programs, um, and you, you find some value potentially of playing around with it. We hope you've enjoyed this week's uh, School of Car Science podcast playgrounds session. If you have enjoyed it, and we would really appreciate it if you would head over to iTunes or whatever platform you're enjoying this on and give us a five-star review. We realise there is one to four, but 
really it's only about the five stars. Mm-hmm. And that helps people to find us and we get to share this information with others. We hopefully can help them to redefine their impossible. Yeah, it's totally not about just trying to help our build us some confidence. No. <laughs> We're not at all insecure. So until next week. Class dismissed. <laughs>